This morning's reading comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The power of the gospel. I have complete confidence in the gospel. It is God's power to save all who believe, first the Jews and also the Gentiles. For the gospel reveals how God put people right with himself. It is through faith from the beginning to end. As the scripture says, the person who is put with God through faith shall live. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, it's lovely to be here at uh, St. Barnabas Anglican Church. I haven't been here for a long time. Having a look at my records, it looks like I, I was here last time in 2004. That's a long time ago. Uh, but uh, it's such a joy to come here, and I'm sorry that we don't get to see most of you face-to-face. At least I do have a small congregation to speak to this morning, which is a joy. Uh, but uh, hopefully one day soon we can see each other face-to-face once again and worship together. But it is a privilege to be here and uh, to honor the Lord and to worship the Lord together. And uh, I have the joy of sharing with you my redemption story, the story of my coming to faith in Yeshua, Jesus, as the promised Messiah of Israel. But just before I share my story, I'm going to share with you a little bit about the work that we do, since it has been such a long time since uh, I visited. Uh, The work of Celebrate Messiah uh, is a ministry to Jewish people. Our mission statement is bringing the message to the original messengers, that is to bring the gospel back to Jewish people from whence the gospel came from in the first place. And so our hope and our heart's desire is to let Jewish people know that Yeshua, that's Jesus' Hebrew name, is the Messiah, and in fact that we can still be Jewish and follow Jesus. And I'm going to share a bit more about that in my testimony this morning. So we're working here in Australia, but we're part of a global network called Chosen People Global Ministries, with now work in about 19 countries around the world. Uh, Wherever there's a significant Jewish community, that's where we want to be sharing the gospel, But also, we are working amongst uh, what we call the Israeli backpackers. This is an interesting phenomenon as young Israelis finish the army. They travel around the world, going to places like India and Asia, South America, New Zealand, Australia. And uh, this is a very vital and very exciting ministry as we reach out to the traveling Israelis. Of course, things have all been put on hold at the moment during covid But it is a a very uh, exciting and very fruitful ministry. The most recent countries we've had join us in our ministry to Israelis is uh, countries like uh, India and Taiwan. And, uh, of course, in New Zealand, we have a very extensive work amongst Israeli backpackers and also uh, here in Australia. Uh, So our primary focus for our ministry is Australia, New Zealand. We also have work amongst Jewish people in the far eastern blocks of Russia, uh, in an area that was uh, named by, by Stalin the Jewish Autonomous Region. Very intriguing area. You can still find this place. If you type it into your Google Maps, Jewish Autonomous Region, you'll be taken to a place just north of uh, China, uh, east of Siberia, and uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. And Stalin gave an area of land for the Jews in the 1930s and said, this is your homeland. Well, this is before Israel was established in 1948. 
So uh, it's a very intriguing area. We started work in 2004, and it's been a very fruitful ministry. We have a congregation in Biribijan, in the heart of the Jewish autonomous region, and also in the far eastern blocks uh, in a town called Artum, just north of Vladivostok. Yeah, that's the port city in the east. So that's our work amongst the, far, uh, the Jews of the far east. Then, of course, we work in Israel itself, um, a very extensive ministry, and uh, I have the joy of going over to Israel normally once or twice a year. I'm on the board of the work there, and it's very exciting work across the nation of Israel with lots of great opportunities and a lot of need in Israel, of course, as well. So thank you for praying for the work, but uh, this morning I'd like to bring greetings to you from the Holy Land, that is the Holy Land of Australia, Caulfield. Uh, that's uh, where most of uh, our Jewish community live uh, in Melbourne, but also it's the largest Jewish community in Australia. And it's a particularly religious area, and in uh, the suburbs of uh, Caulfield and around Caulfield, there's a, a religious area that has been designated by the rabbis called an Eruv, an Eruv, and you can see the map, and uh, <clears throat> the red line shows you this Eruv, this boundary line, it actually is a physical boundary. We didn't erect walls, but we did get permission from the rabbis. The rabbis got permission from the council to put a cable on all the electrical uh, uh, poles all around this area. And it's an unbroken cable, and because of that, the rabbis have designated this area inside as a special religious area where you have certain leniencies on the Sabbath laws, which are normally, of course, very onerous. Uh, but if you live within this era, you have some leniencies. For instance, you're allowed to carry some heavy objects on the Sabbath or push a pram. And normally you're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath if you live outside the Eruv. So as you can imagine, all the Orthodox Jews and observant Jews want to live inside this area, which is why that part of the world and part of Melbourne is very high-priced real estate. And this is where we are working in the middle of Caulfield. And we want to just thank, uh, thank the Lord for blessing us because last year was, of course, a very trying year for all of us and still is. But during 2020, we, were, we managed to build uh, and complete the Caulfield Messianic Center, which is our new outreach center in the heart of Caulfield. It is the old Bamborough Church of Christ. We've been totally renovated it. Now it's a beautiful center in the heart of this very strategic area. And uh, we give thanks to God for that. So please pray for us in the heart of the Jewish community as we seek to be a witness to Jewish people that Yeshua is the Messiah. <clears throat> and uh, if you'd like to get a free newsletter from us, uh, you can actually, of course, aim your camera or your phone, your smartphone at this image. Two years ago, if I asked you to do that, no one would have known what I was talking about. We all know what a QR code is now. And if you uh, aim your smartphone at this, you'll be taken to our website where you can sign up for our newsletter. And if you do uh, want to support the work of Celebrate Messiah, we're a mission organization that rely on the support of uh, Christians who believe in the work we do. Please um, go to this site, aim your camera or your phone at this particular QR code, you'll go to our donation page. And uh, we really do thank you for considering that. All right, let me uh, share with you a little bit about my redemption story. And uh, I wonder if uh, you've seen the movie or if you've um, watched the play Fiddler on the Roof. Of course, a very famous and a wonderful story of uh, Jewish people in Eastern Europe uh, at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s. 
And the whole story of uh, Fiddle on the Roof, of course, is all about uh, Jews in a, in a kind of typical town, which is in those days and in Jewish tradition called Eshtetl, uh, a small town in Eastern Europe somewhere. And the story is all about uh, the Jews who were forced to leave their little town of Anatevka and uh, had to pack up after having uh, just experienced another pogrom, a persecution against the Jewish people. And this, of course, was very true at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s. And it was during such a pogrom towards the end of the 19th century that uh, my Jewish forebears left uh, uh, Latvia and Lithuania, those two particular areas, uh, together with about 40,000 other Jews from that region and migrated to South Africa of all places. And so South Africa uh, had an influx of Jewish people primarily from Latvia and Lithuania and uh, also uh, from Poland. My great-grandfather on my mother's side uh, is Elias Lazarus with uh, uh, his wife, of course, uh, who was Rebecca, and uh, she and he were married in uh, 1853, uh, and uh, sorry, in 1886, uh, and about 1893 they moved from Latvia to South Africa. My great-grandfather Elias became one of the earliest uh, Jewish ostrich farmers in South Africa, an ostrich farmer in an area of the eastern cape of South Africa in a town called Otsorn. <clears throat> now, Otsorn had a very small and thriving Jewish community made up of immigrants from Europe. And uh, being an Orthodox Jew and a Kohen from the priestly line of the Jewish people, Elias participated uh, in the Jewish life of uh, the town. And in fact, uh, on the 5th of October, 1984, sorry, 1894, he bought a seat in the Israelitish congregation in Otsorn, which I still have the title deed for, which one day I'd like to go and claim my seat in that synagogue. But apparently now it is only a museum uh, for Jewish life. My grandfather, Isaac Lazarus, grew up on the ostrich farm <clears throat> while attending a local school in Otsorn. The first language he spoke was Afrikaans. That's the language spoken by the Dutch descendants uh, in South Africa, who made up the majority of the white farmers in that area. We all called him Opa, which is Afrikaans for grandfather. And even though he rubbed shoulders with Christians as he grew up, he grew up, of course, as an Orthodox Jew. As an adult, my grandfather moved from the country to the city of Johannesburg, and it was there that he met and married my grandmother, uh, Doris Kabatsnik, in 1911. See the picture over there? My mother, Elaine, was born later, and um, <clears throat> she was born in 1938. I think there's a picture of her a little later. All right, my dad's Jewish family also came from Eastern Europe uh, to South Africa in the early 1900s. My great-grandfather was Abraham Hirsch, and he married <clears throat> Sarah Isakovitz. And so my, my great-grandparents was Abraham and Sarah. <clears throat> they had many children, and one of them was uh, my grandfather, Hermann Hirsch. Uh, and uh, they were, he was born in Hochenstein, which was uh, in that time part of Prussia. Now it's part of Poland. And my grandmother, Sarah Spilkin, was uh, born in Riga, Latvia. And my grandfather, Hermann, served in the Second World War as a staff sergeant. 
And uh, then, of course, they had my father, Ronnie, who was born in 1933. My mom and dad met in Johannesburg. Oh, there's my dad, Ronnie, uh, with my grandmother. My mom and dad met in Johannesburg and married in 1957. Two siblings came before me, my sister, Lana, and my brother, Alan. And I was the youngest of three. And when I was one year old, my family moved from Johannesburg to a small town in South Africa called Sumsid West, which is about 45 k's from Cape Town. And so Sumsid West, of course, had uh, a very, oh, that's me as a little baby boy. Uh, and so uh, lovely memories. And I just had my birthday this week. So good to think about these things and see my beautiful mother. Now, Sumsid West uh, had a very a, a large Jewish community. Uh, and uh, it was closely knit together, so we all knew each other's business, of course. And so since uh, my grandfather on my dad's side had passed away, my, my uh, grandfather on my mother's side, my opa, really was the one who influenced me in understanding my Jewish identity and my religious understanding. And he was, of course, as I said, from the priestly caste, the Cohens, or priests, if you like. I would watch him pray in the mornings. And uh, my uh, grandfather would pray three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, and the evening. In Hebrew, we call that the shacharit, uh, sorry, the, uh, the morning prayers, uh, the shacharit, the mincha, the afternoon prayers, and then the evening prayers, ma'ariv prayers. And part of his daily ritual is that he would put on a tefillin, that is a phylacteries, that's a, a leather strap that you put around your left arm, and then also another one around your head. Uh, that, of course, is a fulfillment of the command to, to tie the law around your head and on your forearm. And he would always pray and address God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he would recite the Shema, the central confession of the Jewish faith. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Here is Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then my grandfather had an unusual ritual of kissing the photographs next to his bed of all the deceased relatives in the family. And so it was at this time that I formed my first impressions about God. God was, in my mind, the God of our past, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all these people who had passed away, and all our relatives who had passed away. I didn't perceive God as the God of our present, but, or even a God of our future. He was the God of our past. All I knew is that we were Jews, and we had some kind of special relationship with God in the days long ago. And of course, as Jewish people, we had our traditions. My grandfather would take me with him to synagogue every Shabbat. And after the service, uh, we would have a wonderful Shabbat dinner together on a Friday evening with the extended family. My grandparents lived right next door, which was lovely. And uh, I went uh, through all the normal traditional uh, upbringing as a Jewish person. I had my uh, bar mitzvah at the age of 13, uh, when I was called to read from the Torah and take on full religious responsibilities. But I must admit that Hebrew was not my forte. My rabbi always used to lament in his Eastern European accent, it's such a pity that you're not as good at Hebrew as you are at rugby. Well, that's because I used to skip going to Hebrew lessons to go to rugby practices. And I did play a good game of rugby during my school years. I represented my province, my state, in uh, three different sports, including rugby. Uh, but rugby was my favorite game, and still is. I did, I ever believe uh, in God, and I certainly embraced my Jewish heritage. 
and I try to follow as much of the traditional aspects of Judaism. But I can't say that I gave it a lot of thought, really. Being Jewish was something who we were and what we did. If someone tried to give me a gospel tract, if a Christian tried to witness to me, I would just uh, say, I'm Jewish. And that seemed to take care of the problem. And uh, that's a pretty good uh, handy tool. If somebody comes knocking on your door from a religion that you don't really want to talk to, just say, I'm Jewish, and everyone seems to go away at that point. As far as I was concerned, uh, Jesus was the God of the Gentiles, and not for us as Jewish people. We believed the Messiah was yet to come. And of course, I never would have guessed that Jesus was Jewish from the pictures that you see of Jesus in the uh, Christmas cards with blonde hair and blue eyes. I thought he was probably Danish, not Jewish. It was during this time that I, I met my childhood sweetheart, Louise, and I was uh, all of 15 years old, and she was 14 years old. We fell in love, and despite the remonstrations of my mother for dating a non-Jewish girl, uh, we vowed that we would get married one day and that Louise would convert to Judaism. After the initial protest of my family, my family really embraced Louise and uh, began to accept her as part of the family, and she would join us uh, every Shabbat for our dinners and all the Jewish holidays, and she uh, once made a faux pas. Uh, on our, my 16th birthday, Louise gave me a wonderful present, she thought, a silver cross. And so I said to her, if, my, if I wear this cross, my mother would kill me. And so uh, Louise had to learn from an early age, of course, uh, the culture of Jewish people and uh, also um, why the cross uh, is such an offense to Jewish people. I'll explain a little bit more later as it represents uh, Christian persecution. It didn't take long for Louise to learn more about Jewish people, and uh, she had a crash course, in a sense, in Jewish culture and religion by being part of our family. <clears throat> Ever since that time, Louise really embraced Jewish culture and identity, and when we got married, my wife said the vows of Ruth to me, those beautiful vows. Your God shall be my God, your people shall be my people, essentially declaring her affiliation with the Jewish people. And that's how we have brought up our family and our children, clearly embracing our Jewish identity. But going back a little bit to my teenage years, my brother Alan, who uh, was always a bit more of a philosopher than I was, uh, really had an influence on my life. I was the sportsman, he was the philosopher. I spent my days running around the rugby field, and he would spend his time musing about the meaning of the universe and other philosophical pursuits. After tertiary studies, my brother went into the army, which was compulsory in those days for young South African men. It was during this time uh, in the army that he uh, formed a close friendship with a group of people. There was five of them, uh, three Jews and two Gentiles. What drew them together was their love for marijuana. While they were in the army uh, and when they were not training, they would gather together and ponder about the meaning of the universe uh, surrounded in a cloud of smoke. Then one day, one of the Gentile members of this group uh, declared to the rest of them that he had become a born-again Christian. No one knew what that meant, but they paid little attention to it at first. However, this man's life really began to change, and uh, he stopped smoking marijuana and yet had more peace than all of them put together. 
So my brother started to notice this, and he started to ask questions. And this uh, man, Murray, gave my brother a Bible and some Christian literature, which he brought home one weekend from a, a pass in the army. Now, even though my brother hid that literature in, my, in our bedroom, we shared a bedroom, somehow my parents found that Bible. And they were so upset that my brother had brought home a Bible that had both the Old Testament and the New Testament with this Christian literature. They freaked out, to say the least, shouting, screaming, even crying, uh, and uh, asked my brother to get rid of that literature and to forget about Jesus. After all, we were Jews, and we Jews don't believe in Jesus. My brother Alan hadn't really anticipated such a, uh, a response from my parents, such an emotional response. So he tried to put it all away and uh, didn't try to continue to inquire about Jesus. But then it was this time that my family decided to leave from South Africa to Australia. There was a lot of uh, issues going on in South Africa at that time, and uh, Jewish people were starting to get a little bit uncertain about the future. Many Jewish people leaving South Africa, going to different parts of the world, and as uh, you know, a lot of Jewish people came to Australia at that time, a lot of South African Jews. But that wasn't good news for Louise and I. As childhood sweethearts, now I had to say goodbye to her, and that was very painful. But we made a vow to each other that we would both pray to God and that we would ask God to bring us back together again. And that's what we did. We kept on praying, and uh, I made a promise to God myself. I said, God, if you bring Louise and I back together again, I will become a good Jew, and I'll bring my children up to be good Jews. So that was my little deal with God. God answered that prayer in an unusual way. Uh, Louise and I kept in touch with each other. All through the first year of being separated, we'd uh, make very expensive phone calls in those days, and also tape tapes, C45 tapes. Only older people would know what that is. Uh, and it was during this time that uh, God began to work really mightily in our lives. Soon after I'd moved to Australia, my brother Alan couldn't stop thinking about Jesus. And he began to read the scriptures, and uh, he wanted to find out the truth about Jesus. He read both the Old Testament and the New Testament and began praying and asking God to show him the truth about the Messiah. Alan had a very amazing and spiritual, uh, spiritual encounter with the Lord that totally convinced him that Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, his life really did change dramatically. And he declared to my parents that he now believed in Jesus. This news of his newfound faith really uh, was not met with uh, joy, I can tell you. There was a lot of distress in our family. There was a sense that he had betrayed our family, that he had gone over to the other side, that there's Jews and there's Gentiles, there's us and there's them, and he had become one of them. It was a very difficult time for all of us, and we're new immigrants into a new country, and we also had to cope with Alan's betrayal. Alan began to share his faith with me. At first, I was very skeptical skeptical about his experience with God, and I found his uh, explanations very uncomfortable and peculiar for me to understand from a Jewish perspective. However, uh, Alan began to pray for me, and also he gave me a Bible to read. And I thought that I'll do a good Jewish thing and start right at the beginning, the front of the Bible. <clears throat> and uh, that was all fine until I came to the book of Numbers with all the list of genealogies, and uh, I found that... Uh, very boring, but also I reminded myself that this was my first feelings about God. God is the God of our past, the God of our history. 
But then Alan also began to share with me from the prophets in the scriptures. And he opened up scriptures to me like Isaiah chapter 53. Now, it was very clever the way he did it. He didn't say, I'm going to read to you from the prophet Isaiah. He read the chapter 53 from me without telling me where it was. And he read the entire chapter, and I said to him, well, that must be from the New Testament, because it sounds like it's all about Jesus. It must be in the New Testament. Because he showed me that he had read from the prophet Isaiah in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Jewish part of the Bible, if you like. And it was an amazing prophecy of how the Messiah would come as the sinless Messiah to bear our sins upon himself. And, of course, that was uh, something that was written 700 years before Jesus. That really got me thinking very seriously. And it shook me. And I began to study other scriptures uh, and other prophets to go with my brother. We looked at the prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 31 that speaks of a new covenant that God would make with the Jewish people. Now, I never knew of a new covenant. I'd heard of the Torah, the law. I'd never heard of anything new. So that, again, really opened up my heart. And uh, I began to think about this in a lot more. And uh, the two questions that continued to bother me really was, uh, and it, it was a barrier for me accepting Jesus as the Messiah, was what about all the Christian persecution of Jews in the name of Jesus? And closely related to that, if Jesus is the Messiah, why isn't there peace on earth? The historic fact of the cross-bearing crusaders is something that really is burnt into the corporate memory of the Jewish people. The crusaders, on their way to free the Holy Land from the infidel, the Jews and the Muslims, of course killed many, many hundreds of thousands of Jews all the way through Europe and in Israel itself. The historians tell us that on one occasion uh, there was such a massacre on the Temple Mount of Jewish people that the blood was knee-deep. And then, of course, the Christian soldiers would march around with a cross bearing a, flag, bearing a cross and a flag, and, uh, and of course, branded the Jews Christ killers. So, whenever I see even a, 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 um, an image of a Christian soldier or crusader, I always kind of remember this very negative past. I assumed from behavior of Christians that the New Testament would be a book full of anti Semitism, Jewish hatred. However, when I began to read the New Testament for myself, I didn't find it as a book full of anti-Semitism, as I was led to believe. On the contrary, I found the New Testament to be very Jewish, spoke about Jewish things, written by Jewish people pertaining to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I was really amazed. I was especially amazed when Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment in the Bible? What is the most important commandment? And Jesus answered, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The same confession of faith that my grandfather would say every day. And so it really began to open up my heart uh, to the understanding of the Jewishness of Jesus. And also, I realized that Jesus hadn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He said, I've come to fulfill them. I was also struck by the fact that uh, as Christians called us Jews Christ killers in times like Easter in Europe, a time of persecution against the Jews with this accusation that we killed Christ, that Jesus said, I, no one takes my life from me. I give it up freely. 
And I've not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So I realized that Jesus came to give his life. No one took it away from him. And so to call uh, Jews Christ killers uh, was certainly uh, unscriptural. And uh, if you wanted to blame the Jews for killing Jesus, you would also have to blame the Italians. We all had something to do with it. And in fact, it's true that Jesus died for all of humanity and for our sins. So I started to realize that uh, Yeshua, Jesus' Hebrew name, was my very own Messiah. Rejected by his people the first time he came, but he will come again to bring peace to the whole world at his second coming, as foretold by the prophet Isaiah. And so my brother took, with, took me to a church service on the 24th of March, 1984, some time ago. And I went to church with him, and it was the first church service that I've been to, and I felt very uncomfortable. But there was an appeal, a gospel appeal at the end of the service, and God had already started working in my heart that I went forward to receive the Lord at that service, March 1984. And uh, two days later, I phoned Louise uh, back in South Africa and said, I've just become a believer in Jesus. And she said, so have I. And we found out that on the very same Sunday night, both our brothers had taken us to church services, and uh, I had received the Lord eight hours before Louise. She came to the Lord eight hours later on a Sunday night on the very same day. So uh, it was amazing how God entered into our lives and Messiah was revealed to us at the same time. And so from that very time, we realized that God had a plan and purpose for our lives. Uh, six months later, Louise came to Australia and uh, we got uh, uh, engaged. Then we went, she went back to South Africa six months later. I went over there and we got married in South Africa Using Jewish tradition, we actually got married by an Anglican minister who was a Jewish believer in Jesus. And we got married under chuppah in a traditional Jewish way. And we began a life of testimony to our Jewish family and friends. And so that's what we've been doing ever since. Uh, we worked uh, as missionaries first in South Africa from uh, the early 90s to the, end, uh, the middle of 95, the end of 95, should I say, then came back in 1995 to Australia and started the work of Celebrate Messiah. And that's what we've been doing ever since, sharing the good news of Jewish people uh, with Jewish people about Jesus the Messiah. And so we've been married now uh, 36 years. Uh, we have four beautiful children. Uh, we have an incredible daughter-in-law and two beautiful grandchildren. Uh, I've shared some parts of my story leading up to my coming to faith is so much more the Lord has done with us and some of the challenges that we've had over these years that I'll probably share another time. But certainly uh, it's been uh, a wonderful journey <clears throat> in coming to faith in the Messiah and God has had us on this journey of sharing the gospel with our Jewish friends. And uh, we've such privileged people to be involved in what God's doing amongst Jewish people around the world. Let me just finish off by saying something very important. I'm not a converted Jew, as some people like to call me. I'm a converted sinner that just happens to be Jewish. I never had to repent of being Jewish, and that's not a sin. I repented of my sin, and that's what converted me to God. And I certainly uh, will agree with the Apostle Paul when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, 
the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. And so uh, we all need to be not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God, and we need to share it with others because God can transform people's lives in the most amazing ways. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you this morning. God bless you all.